uh, if I rem- I can't remember if this is I won't say because I don't remember. Oh wow! Now I just lost my train of thought. He's forty-four years it. old. His career is waning. No one knows what's going to happen. Okay. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah. What's going to happen? If only there was a young up-and-coming country star with a a song ready to hit number one in the right hands. There we go. There we go. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. My name is Sean Hartman, longtime host of Hard Bargain's Hillbilly Honky Tonk Hootenanny Radio Hour. I'd tune into that. <laughs> well, it's nationally syndicated, so just keep spinning that dial and you'll find me. Okay. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I... And the third shift assistant to whoever needs it, whatever they might need. That's so generous of you. I'm just here to help people make it through the night. Oh. (laughs) I see what you did. I'm so glad to hear that, Jeremy. I am co-host Peter Cook, and you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Both of you. Except for my... Except for my wife. I assumed you were talking to our dear listener. Oh, yes. Yeah, you two, listener. (laughs) Each one individually. Collectively the greatest thing that's ever happened to our dear Peter Cook. (laughs) Oh, you know it. We sure are a wishy-washy, heartfelt bunch tonight, eh, fellas? I feel like crying a tear right into my beer right now. Release me. Let me put on a song... That will effectively do that, because this song literally slays me when I hear it. We're going to play off Ray Price. He's the dude we're covering tonight. For the Good Times is the record we're covering tonight, 1970. And I'm going to start us off with the song, I'll Go to a Stranger. And I believe Bright Eyes should be sending Ray Price royalties for this one. (laughs) Pay up, Connor Oberst. With someone else, perhaps in time, I'll find a little peace of mind. And maybe someday I'll get over you And if in time I hear your name It may be hard to bear the pain But I'll go to a stranger Before I'll come to you A little sympathy 
that's so much more than you have ever done for me. And to turn away from you won't be an easy thing to do, but I'll go to a stranger before I'll come to you. So much more than you have ever done for me. And to turn away from you won't be an easy thing to do. I don't know if I want to make too bold a claim too early, but in listening to that again now and i've only heard this a couple times in preparation for this episode but i'm really starting to hear sounds influences beyond country music in the arrangements almost like some world music creeping in i don't want to say exotica but i feel like maybe space age i'm hearing a lot going into the pot here it's not just straight up country music True. Are you familiar with the Nashville sound, Peter? (laughs) Well, I thought I knew Nashville, and I have indulged in a fair amount of country music. Oh, but are are you not familiar with a specific era of it called the Nashville sound? Educate me. Enlighten me, Jeremy. I've heard that term, but I guess I don't know what it means. Ah, so in, I think it started mid to late 50s and carried through the 60s and here we're in 1970. So at this point, it's pretty fully developed. But in Nashville, Owen Bradley was kind of at the, the forefront of this, the producer. And the big difference is there are lots of strings like full string arrangements like pop music has you have drums which previous to this was a big no-no in country music you weren't supposed to have a drummer though that actually uh, ray price had a hand in that before the nashville sound we'll get there but More or less, the Nashville sound, you have those background singers and those lush strings, and that represents a whole lot of it right there. Very cool. There was also a conscious effort to remove some of the other instruments that were traditionally a part of country music to give it more of a pop crossover feel. Yeah. Yeah. And as Sean was saying, it's this is not not far removed from just a Frank Sinatra record, really. Mm Mm-hmm. As Sean said before we started the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. But I've been saying it. I mean, he's just a country crooner. It would take so little change to just make this basically a Frank Sinatra record. Just remove the guitar and you could sell it pretty much. <laughs> Which is not a slight in any way. I, I love that crossover. And I think Ray Price has got uh, a voice to match any crooner out there. 
Yeah, I think that says more about how good Ray Price's voice is than calling it any sort of a sellout or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell yep. you boys a little about our, or how about you boys tell me what you know about Ray going into this? Peter, it sounds like this is pretty new to you. Yes, as I was saying to you before we started the episode, it's I've heard his name. I'm really going in, into this knowing very little about him and just not much of his music either. I It's all pretty much new to me, but I'm liking everything I'm hearing so far, and I'm excited to learn more. Sean Dead, are you you are the one who initially sold me Ray Price. Yeah, possibly twice from from what I understand. Well, he sold me one and then when I came to visit you last time you're like, "Hey, you really need to listen to this record." And he gave me a copy. I got home and I'm like, "Oh, I already have this record." <laughs> Perfect. So I would consider myself still kind of a novice to country music in general. You know, I've listened to a handful of Cocaine and Rhinestone episodes. I've got some country records and a few artists that I know I really like, but it's kind of spotty. Mm-hmm. And over the last few years, I've been every once in a while trying to play a few records that I see all over the place and just check out some more stuff and find which country albums really speak to me. And this was one that I knew about mainly because of how much I got into Willie Nelson a couple of years ago. And I knew that he was a huge Ray Price fan and did that Ray Price tribute record a couple of years after Ray died. I think the tribute record is called For the Good Times. So this was the record I checked out first of Ray Price and was just instantly sold on it. And it's like, you know, I bet my good buddy Jeremy would like this. It's really frustrating how he named it for the good times when I'm trying to get information on for the good times because anything with Willie's name attached gets uh, moved up those search results pretty heavily. (laughs) True. (laughs) And they called it for the good times a Ray Price tribute, so adding Ray Price doesn't help either. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of search for the good times, not the Ray Price tribute. Ah. Yeah, I'm glad just to elaborate a little bit on what Sean said. I I, I think that I sometimes make the mistake of thinking I know a, a lot about country music because, you know, it's been quite a while ago that I got into like Graham Parsons. And to me, that was like going off on this own journey that few other people I knew were into at the time. And, you know, Graham had a handful of artists that he cited frequently and I checked out, but there's so much more out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I feel like if you didn't grow up in a country music family or have country music friends, it's really, really easy to acquire enough knowledge about country music to feel like, you know, way more than anyone you've ever met just because it's one of those things where people are usually all in or just never want to get into country music at all. I grew yeah. up in a country music family and I still feel like I didn't I mean growing up it just made me really not like country music. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, and that it gets stigmatized for people because of that too. I like all kinds of music except for rap and country. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite opinion about music ever. <laughs> Love yeah. it when people tell me that. <laughs> the two genres associated with poor people. <laughs> Interesting. Weird. Ah, oh, so as as, Ray Price. As long as we agree that 
I was going to make a stupid comment. We don't need to go there. I, I was going to say, as long as we can agree that Kid Rock was the perfection of the hybrid of the two. <laughs> Top of the mountain for both genres. <laughs> uh, Michigan represent. Oh, no. All right, Jeremy, rescue it. Ray Price. Born in 1926 in Wood County, Texas. For those of you who somehow don't know where that is, we're talking like Northeast Texas. Nearest big city would be Dallas, if you need to draw a map in your mind. Ray's parents divorced at age three, and he went back and forth between Dallas with his mother, and then he would go back to the farm with his father, who lived out in Wood County, out in, you know, the sticks. Growing up, Ray True. Ray wanted to be a veterinarian and initially went to college for it. He got drafted during World War II, served in the Marines, and then went back to school to continue trying to be a veterinarian. But it turns out Ray Price was too small. One of the primary things a veterinarian does in Texas is deal with livestock and horses. And Ray was apparently not sizable of a person enough to deal with that. So he could have been an equestrian, but not a veterinarian. Yes, that's a good point. (laughs) But he had no desire to do that, so he started singing instead. He got his start on the Hillbilly Circus out in Abilene, Texas. Shout out to my boy Sonny out in Abilene. And then he moved from there to the Big D Jamboree in Dallas. So while there, he started getting played. That got syndicated throughout the country. So he started getting some national exposure there playing the Big D Jamboree. And that's where he became friends with Lefty Frizzell. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of big names coming up here, which is, I don't know, going through all this info, it was bonkers to me how many big names Ray is associated with, combined with the fact that Ray changed the course of country music twice in his career, and yet... Most people have never heard that name, or even if they have, they know almost nothing about him. He's so noble. Noble Ray Price. (laughs) They should call him Noble Ray Price, yes. He moves to Nashville to make it big as a country singer. He gets a gig touring with Hank Williams, but it's... Sounds like from interviews I've seen with him that he was almost babysitting Hank Williams at that point. Hank had already wasn't he roommates with Hank Williams for like a minute? Oh, I'll get there. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll shut up again. Please tell me (laughs) more about Ray. (laughs) Um, so Ray tours with Hank, and Hank's getting drunk pretty regularly to the point that he can't play. And they're just making Ray go out and play for him. Apparently, he was talking in an interview how 
the promoters would sell concert tickets for Hank Williams concerts, then intentionally try and get Hank drunk so that they wouldn't have to pay him because he's breaching his contract and not playing, but then they would still do the show and they would pay Ray for his thing, but they would pocket most of the money because most of the money was supposed to go to Hank. (laughs) Truly sketchy uh, (laughs) stuff going on. Promoters all the way back. They're still sketchy. Quintessential music industry loophole right there. Yeah. (laughs) So I I don't like it, but, you know... Just some insight into the mind of a promoter. Yeah. Would you say that you respect the hustle maybe just a little bit? If it didn't probably further lead to Hank Williams' early demise, then I might have an ounce of respect for it. That's fair. (laughs) I'm I'm just still too sad about the loss of Hank Williams. (laughs) Too soon. Too Too soon. soon. Rip in peace, Hank. So yeah, Hank is deep in the throes of alcoholism at this point. His wife divorces him, and that's how Hank Williams ends up living with Ray Price. They rented two different floors of a house, from my understanding, and Ray had to essentially take care of Hank and make sure he had food and try and keep him from dying. And, uh, of course, eventually Hank did die. He drank himself to death. Yeah, what, 28, 29 years old? I I don't have the exact age in front of me. Ooh, I can hear Peter typing. He's figuring it out. I can hear it. No, I decided I'm not, I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> I'm just going to say he was 28 or 29. All right, fair. Deal. No one's going to call him on it. Hank passes away, and Ray Price kind of just adopts his band. <laughs> they start playing with Ray Price. And, well, I should mention also before this, whilst Hanks Williams is still alive and performing, he gets an opportunity to host the Grand Ole Opry, and he brings on Ray Price, who most people aren't invited onto the Grand Ole Opry unless they've had a major hit. And Ray hadn't at this point, but he was able to get on thanks to Hank Williams, which gave him a lot of exposure and momentum going into the 50s. So he adopts, they're called the Drifting Cowboys, was Hank Williams' backing band. And they play together for a little while before Ray disbands that band because everybody's commenting on how much he sounds like Hank Williams and... He doesn't like any of that. He wants to find his own sound. So he starts his own backing band, the Cherokee Cowboys, to get away from Hank's sound. You boys know any of the uh, Cherokee Cowboys? Ooh, I saw that list. There's like multiple very famous members of that group, right? You want to tell us? Oh, yeah. Willie Nelson, pretty big Mm -hmm. one. You got Roger Miller, also Mm -hmm. a huge country name. Johnny Paycheck, also in the band. Wow. Yeah, that's, in, that's incredible. <laughs> it's a super group, a pre-super group, <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever it is when it's all people before they were famous. Yeah, and Roger Miller <laughs> tried out 
uh, for violin in the band, well, fiddle, I should say, in the band. And Ray responded to his audition with, well, can you sing and play guitar? (laughs) Sure enough, he could and turned out to be one of the country greats. I was going to say, isn't Roger Miller was a shredder? Yeah. I want to get to the next song I'm going to play here. We're going to do Heartache by the Numbers. And I'll tell you why I picked that one after we listen to it. A little hint, pay attention to the bass and the drums. Heartache number one was when you left me I never knew that I could hurt this way And heartache number two was when you came back again You came back and never meant to stay Now I've got heartaches by the number Troubles by the score Every day you love me less Each day I love you more Yes, I've got heartaches by the number A love that I can't win But the day that I stop counting That's the day my world will end Heartache number three was when you called me And said that you was coming back to stay With hopeful heart I waited for your knock on the door I waited but you must have lost your way Now I've got heartaches by the number Troubles by the score Every day you love me less Each day I love you more Yes, I've got heartaches by the number A love that I can't win But the day that I stop counting That's the day my... That song I picked because there's still a remnant of Ray Price from the 50s and into the 60s a little bit. There's something in country music that is still to this day called the Ray Price beat or the Ray Price shuffle. And it is on full display in that song. And it's stripped out of most of the songs on this album, but that one still carries it. And that's changing it from a 2-4 to a 4-4 beat and putting in a walking bass line, right? Those are the the signatures of the Ray Price beat. Yeah. So essentially what he did, and this is, it's important to note, this is in the context of rock and roll becoming popular. And 
country starting to fade out of popularity, Ray Price brings, he basically doubles the tempo if you're going from 2-4 to 4-4. So it gives it a more energetic, lively feel to compete with the rock and roll energy going on at that time. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for all the times that that song has been covered. And Ray Price obviously had the original in 59, but it's interesting because it kind of shows some of the influence going into this album and some of the different genres that were influenced by some of this country music sound that we're talking about. So like George Jones, Kitty Wells, and Buck Owens all did the song in the early 60s, but then you also got guys like Bing Crosby who did a version of it, Uh, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Burl Ives did a version, Jerry Lee Lewis. Country Joe and the Fish, and then in 2016, Cindy Lauper covered it. <laughs> Far out. Yeah. Yeah, and wow. the the shuffle part of it, Ray Price is also associated with Western Swing, and a lot of this comes from the Texas honky-tonks, from my understanding. As I, I think I briefly mentioned earlier, drums were a faux pas in country music the beginning of this Ray Price beat stuff. And in Texas, in the honky-tonks, though, you know, there were drummers. So him bringing this stuff to country music, and he describes at one point he had to sneak on a, a snare drum to the Grand Ole Opry because they didn't want it on their stage. <laughs> That's how, like, no-no the drums are in country music at this point. So he's bucking that trend. And it's funny to listen to this music that sounds very traditionally country in a lot of ways. But he was like seen as a, what's the word I'm looking for here? He's seen as someone. Trailblazer? A trailblazer, but in a more negative sense, like. Country has this funny thing through its whole history of every era saying that the new changes in country are like horrible and they're ruining the genre. And there's like this conservatism associated with country. Reactionary. Reactionary. Ray Price was not about that. As stated, he was associated with honky-tonk music. He's using this Ray Price shuffle to kind of get people up and dancing and moving around. And he has a handful of hits through the 50s as a result of this. And he's playing the honky-tonks, but he gets sick of it. So by the, it was like 1963, his sound starts to change. And there starts to be this bleed-in of what gets called the Nashville sound because he doesn't want to play in honky-tonks anymore. He's sick of being in those places. Which, if you're close, not... Close up the honky-tonks. <laughs> yeah, if you're not familiar, a honky-tonk is basically a crummy dive bar where, you know, country music is played instead of people like me or Sean or Peter's bands playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever played a honky-tonk in my time. yeah it's like the same thing as just a dive bar though it's just like a crummy place that people drink and live music is played 
So Ray Price is sick of playing in those places, and he wants also to bring the art of country music to the mainstream. So he embraces the Nashville sound that is up and coming at this point and starts to include lush string arrangements and the classic background vocals backing up his songs. Yeah, and even uh, in some cases, like on the first song we listened to, the steel guitar, I believe it was a steel guitar, uh, just the way that that was played almost seemed to be more like a, a theremin or certainly n- not just the straight traditional steel guitar sound. I, I'm hearing, like you said, the last song we listened to was probably the most more steeped in traditional country sounds. Of course, you're saying that it's the Ray Price beat that's getting away from that. Well, at this point in 1970, the Ray Price beat is already become sort of the norm when he first uh started doing it in the 50s it was definitely bucking the trend of what country music was in its time Mm -hmm. so now he's he's further getting away from it by going a different direction on a lot of these tracks yeah save for this song and there's like one or two others that kind of have it going on if you listen closely like you can still hear that ray price beat going in the background this one was the most prominent but he's mm-hmm. trying to dismantle that image of himself already at this point. He was probably under pressure to keep it there to some degree so people can identify his music. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's trying to get away from it. He's got to change up the brand. This album comes out 1970. We've already gone through the 60s. And Ray Price is kind of waning in popularity through the 60s. And when this album comes out, he's 44 years old, and Ray's looking for that new sound, and he finds none other than up-and-coming songwriter Chris Christofferson. Heard of him much, guys? I've heard of him a lot, actually. He's one of those one of the few household names of country music where you don't have to be a country music fan to have heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, Travis Bickle buying his record for Sybil Shepherd and Taxi Driver. And she already owned it. And he was a creep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Essential information. I, I like that I, I named Travis Bickle as the character's name and Sybil Shepherd as the actress's name. So. <laughs> anyway. Yes, Chris Christopherson, he is, yeah, like Sean said, he's pretty ubiquitous figure in music. You, you don't have to be a, a country music person to know who he is. Yeah, and I would say he may or may not owe some of that to Ray Price, who took the song For the Good Times, which is the title of this album as well, and written by Chris Christofferson, he took it to number one. And I was just reading that Christofferson's version came out in his debut record a mere two months before this record came out. So, you know, he was still hyping that first record when all of a sudden here comes megastar Ray Price making it a number one song and just effectively kickstarting Christofferson's career right then. True. It's hard to say. I mean, I feel like Christofferson's a good enough songwriter that it would have happened for him any which oh, way. Oh, sure. Probably, yeah, but 
But you never Ray know. Ray Price <laughs> in this universe, Ray Price had a hand in how that all developed. Yeah, Christofferson got famous in 1970 instead of like 1972, <laughs> which is probably how long it would have taken him without the Ray Price bump. True. So I want to play that song for the good times. And this song was, I noticed in my research, in the top 20 of Rolling Stone Magazine's saddest songs of all time. Whoa. Yeah. This is another brutal song, even though I think I think the first one I played was actually sadder, but this song was a huge number one hit song that a lot of people know, so got a little more notoriety. Makes sense. But it is very sad, therefore I like it. All right, well, let's get sad with Ray. <laughs> sad bastard music. <laughs> Love it. Don't look so sad I know it's over But life goes on And this whole world Will keep on turning Let's just be glad We had some time to spend together There's no need to watch the bridges that we're burning Lay your head upon my pillow Hold your warm and tender body close to mine Hear the whisper of the raindrops Blowing soft against the window And make believe you love me one more time For the good time I'll get along You'll find another And I'll be here if you should find you Is there a vibraphone in there? It sounds like it. I have no I idea say, though. Of all the, you know, the instruments that have the similar sounds, it sounds like it's a vibraphone cuz it's got that, you know, that vibraphone uh sound to it at the end with like the vibrato of the notes. It's such a nice touch with that track. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it, I, it, I it's hard for me to notice how sad it is because it's just so lush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Peter, you had mentioned earlier you heard like a little bit of that uh, space age music influence. I feel like the vibraphone sound on there is a perfect example of that kind of earlier, easy listening lounge style mixed in, and it, it fits perfectly. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have no idea what instruments are going on or who's playing them. I could not find information on who the players were on this record. It's listed uh, as a... Oh, do you have something? <laughs> I was going to say, a couple of the Discogs listings have lineup for it. They don't say who's playing on which track. There's four uncredited guitarists, so I imagine they're not on every song, but it does not say who plays the vibraphone on this record. Yeah, yeah, I am seeing that Ray Eddington, who we talked about on Chester and Lester, yep. is um, one of the guitarists. And uh, Bob Moore on bass, who's on a ton of country music songs as well. Curly Chalker on steel guitar. Mm-hmm. Wow, if I would just learn to use Discogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, Jeremy misses out on critical information because of his distaste for that website. Going back to different covers of the songs on here, though, a certain famous crooner by the name of Perry Como had a version of this in 1973 that spent 27 weeks on the UK singles chart, interestingly enough. And also, just a year before that, in 72, none other than Al Green recorded a cover of this song on his album, I'm Still in Love With You. And apparently, it was a staple of his concert repertoire throughout the 70s. Wow. Al Green, the, rev- the reverend. The other Chris Christopherson song on this album that I referenced with my title, Help Me Make It Through the Night, that song, I don't Listening to the version here, I can understand that it didn't break through from this album. But Sammy Smith later the same year releases a version that became huge and it's incredible. I don't have you guys heard her version of it? I have not. I don't think so. No. Yeah, it's great if you get a chance to check it out. But that song uh then becomes a country standard. That one's been recorded by Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Joan Baez, Michael Bublé, Gladys Knight. Like, <laughs> it's been covered all over by tons of people. It's just become one of those songs. I was familiar with the song, and I couldn't even place, like, who I'd heard sing it before. I just knew the song. I got Gladys Knight and the Pips on the Brain because I just watched Summer of Soul. Oh, I have to watch that still. Was it good? It's... I mean, of course it was good, but was it good? <laughs> oh, it was outstanding. Yeah. It's playing in a couple of theaters out here in Philly, so I'm waiting to go see it on the big screen. Only thing that could have been better is a little more Sonny Chirac. I was going to say, did they give my man Sonny Chirac enough screen time? Uh, no, it was, it's brief, it, it, and I, it, it, it may have, it, I don't know, it may have, I guess I can understand, maybe it would have been too much for some people, but as someone who wanted it, I wanted so I wanted more Sunny, but you know, the, you get some incredible stuff from Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples together, mm. and you get the Chambers Brothers, and yeah, I won't. I won't say too much more. I don't want to overhype it. But <laughs> how could you out. with that lineup? Though there's, it would be impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll go see it, but I'll hold out still for the Sunny Chirac cut. Not the unedited. Yeah. Chirac footage. Maybe there'll be some. Yeah. By the time the listeners hear this, I will have watched that movie. But now that you guys, I bring a country record, and you guys are still dragging it back to soul. <laughs> Jeez, oh Pete. 
But, you know, there is a really strong connection between a lot of soul music and country music, especially southern soul music like Al Green. They were playing alongside a lot of these country musicians, and it. I think when those two genres mix together, something really special happens. Yeah, there was mm-hmm. like a whole industry of soul and country songs just being recorded like for both and then released under different names and oh definitely yeah it was uh yeah they are closely related i'll give you that back to ray price though so he has two number one singles his re-recording of crazy arms also goes number one and the song we played before heartaches by the numbers reaches number two on the country charts and this becomes his best-selling album of all time. This thing goes multi-time platinum. Therefore, you will find this record around. Sometimes people will just give you a copy, and you'll already have a copy, but <laughs> it's fine. You just give it to someone else. Sometimes people just give you two copies, because it, just, it just keeps appearing, and everyone should own this, you know? True, true. From here, Ray Price... Continues recording through the 70s. He had three more number one hits through the 70s. He had top 10 hits up until around 1982. I mean, you're talking dudes approaching 60 at this point, and he's still cranking out top 10s. In the 90s, he goes in a more gospel direction. And in 1999, he was busted for marijuana possession to which his old bandmate and friend Willie Nelson calls him up and congratulates him on the million dollars of millions of dollars of free promotion he just received. <laughs> <laughs> Expert weighs in. You know, I knew the song Grazing in Greener Pastures was about weed on here. <laughs> oh yeah, he was a longtime and regular marijuana user, it sounds like. Fuck yeah. So he continued recording. His last album came out in 2007 and was actually recorded with Willie and Merle Haggard. as called Last of the Breed. And in 2012, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he ended up passing away in 2013 at age 87. Yeah, not a bad run, all told. Yeah, but he wasn't inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame until the mid-90s, despite having multi-decades of hits. (laughs) But it's that same thing. Like He was seen as not a true one because he kept innovating within country. Yeah, I mean, I would say the innovators are usually the ones that end up being remembered better in the end, but I don't know, country music's weird like that. Yeah. So that's the whole story with Ray. You guys have any special thoughts about Ray? He's he's just noble. He's noble, and I gotta say, um, I love the album artwork for this. It's just so simple. The color scheme is so good. The font layout, just everything about it is so classy and so iconic looking to me. I'm just hung up on the fact that his birth name is Noble Ray Price, and I'm not sure if either of you actually are aware of that. I'm not. I was, I was not, and I kept wondering, like, why does he keep saying that? That's annoying. <laughs> well, that's it's to the point that I was like, I don't. Okay, I need to explain why I'm saying this. 
Yeah, it was just <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, Peter, he's noble. We get it. Like... <laughs> He didn't do like a bunch of terrible things like a lot of famous country people. So I guess he's noble. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sean, did you find some noble artists to include on your Spotify playlist related to this episode? Uh, not really, but you guys did. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. You you were a little busy, so you asked us. I was to I was so hung chime. up doing research for the Patreon episode that we're going to record this month. Oh, it's going to be a good one. I think everybody should sign up for the $5 tier of our Patreon so they can hear this episode about the occult that we're going to do. Yeah, it's going to, we're going extra special with with this one. That's right. So yeah, real quick, (laughs) patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast to get occult bonus content. Exactly. We're going to fucking change your life. We're going to teach you the chance you need to self-actualize and take that power. <laughs> I did put some cool songs on this Ray Price playlist too. <laughs> you got some Willie Nelson. Uh, we got some Mel Tillis on there. Ernest Tubb, Waltz Across Texas. Marty Robbins from his Gunfighter Ballads album. Roger Miller's on there. Lefty Frizzell, Merle Haggard, George Jones, Johnny Paycheck, Hank Williams, Frank Sinatra, uh, the Sammy Smith version of Help Me Make It Through the Night that Jeremy was singing the praises of earlier it's all there and you can find that on spotify just search i'd buy that podcast all one word to find this and every other playlist from season two and on far out fantastic well just don't be afraid of country folks don't be that lame that's like i like everything but country and rap mm-hmm Dig into those country dollar bins. There's so much good stuff for dirt cheap. Maybe the most plentiful genre for dollar bin gold, I will say. Yeah. And there's, whenever you think you know a whole lot about country, there's a whole lot more to learn. That's what mm-hmm. I learned in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm walking away with that knowledge in my pocket. But uh, what are we going to get out of here on, Jeremy? What song do you want to leave on? I'm going to leave us with You Can't Take It With You because I just really like this song. I want to play all the best ones. This was written by Jim Candy along with Hal Bynum, if I'm saying his name correctly. I know nothing about either of them, but it looks, yeah, it doesn't appear that uh, Ray really uh, penned any of the songs on this record. Yeah, he was more of a singing man than a a writing man. Mm-hmm. But man, he was a singing man. He had unbelievable voice. One of the best, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, listener, for joining us into this foray into the world of Ray Price. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Jeremy Ruggles. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. Nah. Yeah, it Uh. has. (laughs) You can take the lips that once kissed me And the good times we 
will never know But I'll keep the love I feel for you forever And you can't take it with you when you go The time you spent with me brought you sadness As I watched your need to leave begin to grow So I took your every look and made myself a memory and you can 